we go. Episode 187 on the motherfucking cops. There, No Laugh Track Podcast. This is Justin Severson, the host. Thank you, Circle of Heat, for letting us play your music there at the beginning. Really sets the uh, tone here. And uh, I'm back this week with uh, Ryan Stout, who has been here before. Episode 92. You remember? No, you looked that up. Um, well, I asked you if you listened back. Yeah. And to I didn't. see, and you hadn't, but you did look at your notes. Yes, I listened back really quickly and made some notes of my own. Oh, really? So, if you ask me any questions that cover topics we've already covered, I'm just going to say, "Go to episode 92, everybody." <laughs> Let's go to episode 92. I don't want to talk about any of that wow, stuff anymore. Wow, the pressure is on. The pressure is on. 187. You've done a lot of talking to comedians. Yeah. And in fact, there's even more than that because we've had some lost episodes. I want to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. I know this is, you do the interviewing, but we're going to go the other way. Bring it. Since you've asked, you've talked so much with so many comics, Mm -hmm. I've been asking people a certain question that I now will present to you and I feel like you might have some, some insight. What do you think the comedian's job is? What do I think the comedian's job is? I'm buying myself time by repeating the question. <laughs> I really shouldn't end a question with the word is. <laughs> first, I'm What gonna, is the comedian's first, job? First, I'm going to tear, tear apart the way you've uh, posed that question. I've already done it. I've already <laughs> uh, done it. Uh, the comedian's job. That is, wow, that's a good question. What is the comedian's job? Uh, as far as like sh- showing up at a comedy club at like... Uh, can we, can we narrow this down? I, you know what? I, I don't know if I can narrow it down, but it, the reason I ask is because I feel like that is the heart of every controversy that comes out about comedians. Mm. It's one person saying, oh, yeah, well, yeah. I think this is what the comedian's job is. This is what the comedian should be doing. And it's somebody else going, no, 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 I'm fine with what the comedian did. Okay, uh, I like that. All right, that, that helps me get an answer here. I will say the first thing is to not to... Uh, there should be no answering to an audience. As far as... As far uh, as, like, uh, you know, like, obviously I'm not a comic, uh-huh. so I'm just, I've just always done the interviewing, uh, so I don't, my, uh, my opinion is not from someone who's been on stage uh, addressing a crowd, but uh, from what I've seen, I don't think it should be, you know, uh, your true voice. It needs to be a true voice, and when and I think you know when these voice when you're saying people are going well that's not what it is well maybe that's just not what it is to them right it's not what they expect right yeah right and I guess what I'm always looking for is somebody to give a definition where it's like all right we can all hop on board now this is what the comedian's job is so if you disagree with that um, maybe you need to change your definition okay. Um, There's so many I, different I, I want, ones, though, I want to agree with that idea that uh, you don't answer to the audience. You don't create a voice to appease them. Yes. Meanwhile, I mean, there is the, an entertainment aspect. Right. That if you're getting up with your own voice and you're being true to you, and audience number one does not laugh, and audience number two does not laugh, <laughs> and audiences three through a billion do not laugh, well, now you're not being a comedian. Well, then maybe now you have problems. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's true. Then that person should walk away and start a new career, possibly. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, they are fulfilling the criteria of don't answer to the audience. I, you know what? I suppose. And when we take a bigger look at, uh, you know, who? I mean, the label comic. You can bring that. You can put that on yourself. You know, you don't need to wait for someone else. Hey, I'm I'm funny. I do stand up. Well. Maybe you only like it. Yeah, there's no validation in that uh, nobody hands you a business card Mm-mm. 
and says you're a comedian yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> you don't graduate from uh, Dartmouth with a you know comedy degree, and then go. No, I mean for... Emerson. Emerson now you That's can true. you can do that as of last the fall fall quarter. They they had their first incoming class of people that could major in comedy, but I don't know necessarily what that entails. I don't think it automa- it certainly doesn't get you a job. No, <laughs> no. I mean, studying any art doesn't. No. Uh, <laughs> acting, poetry, music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not guaranteed anything. Um, yeah, uh, I think it also. Uh, you know, if I'm trying to, to you know. Um, answer your question even more it's you know i it's easy to go even more in depth like a uh a comedian's job is to make people think you know that's what i like Mm -hmm. is uh to get people to look at things through their eyes and i i would agree with that too and again i think uh this is where society gets contentious Mm -hmm. because one person says well, I think it's the comedian's job to, you know, provide escapist entertainment and help me forget my problems. And then person number two says, well, I think it's the comedian's job to stand on stage and speak truth to power and address the issues in society. And then person number three, if you talk to them long enough, they will say both of both. those things. Absolutely. And you go, well, you can't have both. <laughs> you dumb dick. How dare you? How dare you create an impossible situation where I'm supposed to help you forget your problems while also addressing your problems? That's not. That's never going to happen. You know, I have a new answer. Actually, the okay. job of a comedian is to gain Twitter followers. That is the job, everybody. Yeah. It is. I mean, as far as entertainment goes, the job is be popular. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're going to look at it that way, mm-hmm. and I think that's the other uh, dichotomy that's at work. It's art versus entertainment, mm-hmm. where you know uh, you think about Van Gogh dying before he got any fame had nothing to do with whether or not he was a good painter. Yeah. So can you create good comedy that people aren't currently laughing at, but people looking back laugh? Is that even possible? <laughs> uh, who knows? Uh, I don't know. I, unfortunately, the shelf life on stand-up comedy is very short. Yeah. Because you can play a Lenny Bruce album for a 14-year-old, and the references will be lost. The, I don't know, the relevancy is lost the freedom of speech factor is not really a an issue for the 14-year-old who has heard worse things on television right. than Lenny Bruce was allowed to say in a nightclub in front of paying adults. So, And it's only been 50 years. Yeah. It's only been 50 years. When you first said uh, the first thing that popped into my mind was Bill Hicks. Of, you know, does that... You know, he died young. Yeah, then, he died at 34. Yeah. He died in the 90s. He sort of, you know, has this legendary status, especially among among comics. Certainly, and that even that is something I bump up against because Sam Kinison died young, and people will still say, Sam Kinison was the best. And I go, really? Let's pop in some of those old tapes. Let's sit and watch some of that old stuff. That was comedy from a certain era, uh-huh. and it doesn't hold. Uh-uh. And I'm not saying it should, because comedy doesn't have a great shelf life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks got a big bump in his legendary status because he died early. Yeah. And some of those bits are still funny. Mm-hmm. But is it all like overwhelming genius? No, I think a lot of you want to agree with some of the philosophy behind it. Yes. I don't necessarily think it was, you know, it changed comedy forever. No, uh-uh. Uh, but who knows? Maybe I'm dead wrong. <laughs> My point is, I think he was an amazing comic. I think he was a great comic. 
But if we would have got to see him grow old and die out, like he talked about Elvis doing, right? I don't know we, if we would appreciate him as much. Just taking Bill's own logic, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we would appreciate Bill as much. You go back and listen to old tapes, CDs of other people. I do. Comics? I've recently started doing a uh, a radio show. It's on digital radio, which is kind of a new thing. I don't know if you're aware of that. I have a question about that. But yeah, keep going. Um, and so you go to it's on Dash Radio. And uh, you listen through the internet, so people can stream it to their phone and then stream that through the car. And it's just like Pandora or Spotify, but instead of having robots do it, you have actual human beings having a radio show. Now, I saw this on your Twitter feed that you yeah. had on uh, Matt Broussard, right? Matt yeah, right, right when he got back from here. Yeah. And that's actually why I called him to come on, because I knew he had just been here, and I really oh, okay. just want to know what his time was like. Because he, he and I have uh, some similarities in that where he is right now five years into comedy and his age and his... Well, he has the same management company okay. that I have. He has the same agent that I had when I was his age. He's on MTV, which I was doing when I was his age. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when I first met him, he really didn't know much about me. And I wanted to be like, this is where it's headed, buddy. <laughs> you be careful now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't make the same decisions I made. <laughs> which Not is, an intervention. Which is kind of what Dana Gould told me when he met me. Oh, okay. Really? Dana Gould met me. He was like, so you're 22. You're the house MC at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco. You just won the Boston Comedy Festival. And uh, you're living in my old apartment on 21st Avenue? I said, yes. He said, wow, you're exactly where I was when I was 22. Wow. And then he said, I'm sorry to say, it's not going to work out for you. <laughs> oh, no. And, and it was funny, and we laughed. Right, and, right. Um, but yes, the radio show I do is uh, it's called Comedy Cut-Ups. And what we do is we play clips of whatever comedy the guest brings in that they found in inspiring, or they maybe it's something they hate, but they know it's great comedy, so they want to talk about it. Okay. And uh, we basically do what I did in all my classes in college, which was... Here's a poem. We're going to talk about why it's a great poem. Yeah. We don't care if you like the poem. We don't care what you feel about the poem. We're talking about the craft elements of poetry. And I did that for poetry. I did that for fiction. I did that in art classes. I did that across the board with a lot of different things. But nobody does that with stand-up comedy. No. They don't say, let's look at this joke. What makes it great? Well, it's a misdirection joke. Awesome. Now, what is the misdirection? Well, how is that crafted? How does that affect the audience? How does the timing play into the delivery of this joke? Nobody breaks it down on a craft level, and yet everybody gets snooty like, well, we talk about comedy as an art form. Well, no, you can't talk about it as an art form unless you talk about comedy as a craft. Yeah. What is being created? And I very much appreciated when I asked you, what is the comedian's job? You're like, well, as a person who's never done it, and I went, that right there is important. Okay. Because Thank you. creators versus consumers yeah. is a huge dichotomy. Some people only know stand-up comedy from sitting out there looking at the stage. Mm -hmm. They only know it from looking at the person talking. And a lot of times, you know, if they see my show... And let's say they hate me. Let's say it's tonight, Wednesday night, they hate <laughs> me. Um, that's probably the last thing they'll ever experience of mine. Yeah. Because anytime they see my name again, they go, ugh, I'm not going to that. Right. But what they don't understand is the jokes that I'm telling tonight are jokes that have been told a hundred times and made a hundred audiences laugh. And now if you don't like it, well, that has nothing to do with me. Right. You have to take into account 
the the consistency and a lot of performances, not just the performance you received and not just the attitude that you were bringing, right. but what is the rest of the crowd doing? Yeah. How was last night? Last night was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, which, strangely enough, that was episode 92 you asked about Tuesday night. Uh-huh. I went, it was great. <laughs> and Tuesday nights have been very good to me here. Good. It's Thursdays we worry about. Oh. No, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, people... People will come out midweek, and they will have a little too much to drink, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're fine, and sometimes mm-hmm. they're problems. Mm-hmm. Mm, who knows? Yeah. It's, a, uh, it's always a good week for comedy. Always a great week here mm-hmm. because of the space and the history and the audience that's been cultivated, and I've brought up a billion times on a billion podcasts that most club owners don't know how to operate their comedy club and instead they rely on the comedian to fill the seats right well when i walked in here today you know you were uh, everybody was having lunch and you were talking to <laughs> as you refer to him and i liked that the godfather uh-huh. yeah Louis Lee, the <laughs> owner so i wasn't going to interrupt that you're absolutely correct he is the man <laughs> well he he put a lot of time and effort into understanding his community and understanding that I'm going to bring in comedy, and you're going to learn to appreciate it. And that might not happen in two years. It might not happen in three. But by 20, we're going to be running, and uh, I'm going to bring in the comics I like. And you'll come, and you'll sit down, and you'll watch. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you like it has nothing to do with whether or not the comic is talented. Damn right. And uh, when when people leave and they're upset, the, the consistent at this club is... Comedy's subjective. We're sorry you didn't like it, but maybe you try something else. Yeah, exactly. I have a few more questions about this uh, online, uh, the internet radio thing. Yeah. How did you, did someone come to you? How did you, you've done so many different things, so I'm always uh, all over the place. People look at me stuff. as a, a host. Mm-hmm. They, they like when I drive a program. Yes. I think partially because I know how to get out of the way. You know, when the program like takes hold mm-hmm. and you've got a guest doing something, I don't slow that down and go, no, 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 this is all about me. Let me be in is my show. I go, yes, you go crazy yeah. and have your moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people have looked at me that way for a long time. And this, this startup, Dash Radio, um, one of the guys that launched it is DJ Ski, who I actually worked with at Access TV, okay. Mark Cuban's network. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had a show on that was after mine, and we would run into each other in the makeup room and whatnot. And... Also, the guy that so Dash Radio breaks up into different channels. So you have rock, you have hip hop, you have all this other stuff, and they have a room full of servers running all this stuff all the time that you can click on the internet and listen to live. Yeah. But the guy running the talk channel is Jeff Schimmel, the brother of the late great Robert, Robert Schimmel. Schimmel. Oh wow! And yeah. I had worked with Jeff. We had put together a pilot presentation for something, and so he called me and he was like, hey, "We're looking for stuff to do on this talk channel." Do you have any ideas? Here's the shows that we're currently running. And I said, yes. I had a show that I pitched to a very large radio company. And they went, we love it. And then I called back and I was like, are we going to do that? And they're like, it's sitting on the president's desk. Uh, and I called back two months later. Has he looked at that? No, no word. And I was like, eh, I don't, I'm not waiting for you. Yeah, I'm going to go out and do this thing. So when Jeff said, do you have an idea? I said, I have an idea. He said, great, start doing it. And so we we go live every Wednesday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, and we we talk for two hours. We play comedy clips, and then we talk about them. Oh, wow. Two hours. Two hours. Well, they they told me, initially, I was like, I just want to do one hour. And then Jeff was like, you're going to want the two. 
I just know you're going to want the two. And the very first episode, we went for two hours, and I was like, yeah, that, that seems about right. That seems correct. So you're bringing in one guest each time? Or? I bring in one guest. They bring in eight to ten clips. I bring in eight to ten clips. We never get through all the clips. Yeah, right. And we, we rant about craft. We get on tangents about stories, working with certain comics or oh, working sounds, in certain places. So if you're fantastic. a comedy fan and people are upset because they're like, well, where can I? Is it a podcast? Can I? And I go, no, it's radio. You tune in and then it's over. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, so it's not being posted after? No. Oh, wow. No. Oh. It's lost into the ether, everybody. Wow. So we can go on forever. Uh huh. <laughs> I can play the same clips. You do. You don't have any idea. <laughs> All uh, right. So yeah, I've been doing that with my Wednesday nights, and unfortunately, I'll be missing tonight. We'll play. Uh, they do. They do record them, so they'll play a rerun. Oh, okay. Yeah. It'll be new to me. It will be. Oh, that's awesome. Dash Radio. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I saw Granted, that. it'll start at 1 a.m. here, <laughs> which is not <laughs> not conducive. Yeah, it's a bad time for most of the country. Hmm. I think they do replay Monday nights at a more reasonable hour. Okay. But it's also because of the content, because they said there's no content restrictions. It's digital. It's it's internet. Yeah. Uh, do whatever you want. Uh but still, because of what we might talk about, I think nighttime is better. Interesting. So, is there like a, is there a good show leading up to you? Do you know, I have do you no know what idea. Your lead in is? No, no, I just focus on my own things and go in and do them. Uh, Could be some gardening show, and then you're hoping to get those people to stick around. Yeah. Uh, gardening fans, stay tuned. We're going to be talking about pussy jokes <laughs> and uh, their effect on comedy. Coming up next on Comedy Cut-Ups with Ryan Stout. <laughs> that's good. That's going to be your next idea. You do a topic like that each week. Well, it's currently we've gotten into... Actually, my guest next week is Jackie Cation, because Jackie and I just like to talk about comedy together. Yeah. But my first, one of my first guests was Ruben Paul, who is a fantastic comic, always loves talking about the art form. And since he's black, we ended up talking a lot about kind of the how black comedy isn't always um brought into the mainstream and how the mainstream has kind of pigeonholed black comedy as a certain thing when there are great black comics out there doing comedy that could not be described as black comedy sure, sure. um and then we talked i talked with matthew broussard and he got into a lot of things with you know very specific joke structure stuff he really wanted to talk about wordplay because he does his Monday pun day oh, thing. Right. Yeah. And I, of course, am not a fan of puns. <laughs> uh, How about be- pun drawings? Well, I just don't. I, and I brought this up to him and we had a good talk about it. The idea that if you write a pun and it's just wordplay, somebody could just steal that. And that's it's gone. Mm-hmm. You you didn't necessarily create something so personal that it couldn't be taken. Mm. It could just be jacked. Granted... You know, there are paintings out there that you can look at and people go, well, what's special about that? I could do that. And the reason it's special is because you didn't do that. Ah, This artist did that. Yeah, yeah. And they did it before you and they did it before other people. They did it. You didn't do a thing. And so I did, I, I did bring that up and gave him his due on that. Like, you create a pun, you created it. Um, who knows if you're the first because we haven't quite recorded everything. <laughs> it's hard to, you know, thumb through the record book. Uh-huh. Yeah. But uh, the pun archives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I had Jason Rouse from uh, from Toronto and Jason is filthy. So we really got into some uh, philosophies about dirty comedy. Okay. 
Yeah. Because, again, you know, just as we've talked about, what is the comedian's job? I don't know what people mean when they go, I want it clean. I want it dirty. I want, well, I don't know what those words mean to you. Somebody said, well, dirty's, dirty means like something, something can go into the body, but nothing can come out of the body. And I was like, that is a very specific, strange thing. Wow. So no piss, no shit, no coming, no spitting. But if you want to sodomize somebody, that's fine, because that's something going in. I don't know about that. I want to say that uh, when, when a comic uses the word fisting, I get uncomfortable. Oh, really? Because mm-hmm. it's a go-to, because it's so extreme. People, I think, number one, people like that the word fist can be a noun or a verb. I like that it has that uh, that playfulness about it. Uh, it's so aggressive. It is very aggressive, and I think that's why it gets used, yeah. because it's a quick way to be aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, people get upset with uh, rape jokes, and again, it's, My the sa- it's the same thing. I'm like, well, rape is an aggressive thing, and everybody in the room knows it's aggressive. Yeah. And uh, even when it's passive, it's very aggressive. By definition. And... Uh, most of the time, I would argue most of the time when rape gets used, what it is is the comedian has a joke that's written and there's a blank space where we need to put an awful, terrible crime in the blank. And everyone in the audience has to agree, yes, that is an awful, terrible crime. And because rape is such a short word, it's a go-to. You're sure. And because the crime is so horrific, it's a go-to. Nobody's ever going to disagree. There's no gray area there where they go, well, stealing. Well, I don't know. If they're poor and they're hungry, maybe that's okay. You know, stealing has all these, like, caveats to it. Sure. Rape? Everybody goes, yep, no, that's incorrect. You don't do that. You wait. Now someone's going to pull you aside after a show and be like, here's why I disagree with here's you. Here's why. And, and what they're going to tell me about, do you know what they're going to explain? No. They're going to tell me about rape. Right. And I'm going to say, yes, you're talking about rape. I'm talking about jokes. I'm talking about having a joke written and there's a blank space where you need an awful crime. Yeah. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Tell me about jokes. Because that is kind of a problem that uh, anytime there's a controversy in the United States about comedy, if it's a suicide joke, people write big, long articles about suicide. And if it's a racist joke, people write big, long articles. Here's why race is a problem. And if it's a rape joke, here's why rape, you don't talk about rape. None of those articles ever tell you anything about jokes. True. You don't learn a single thing about jokes after reading 900 articles about rape jokes, suicide jokes, and racist jokes. Where's the information about jokes? Speaking of that, I saw this thing you did on your website uh-huh. last summer. Yeah. Where you were going through, and was it, I could try to explain it, Googling the word I, joke? So for 30 days, for the entire month of June, I would Google the word joke and then I would click news, yeah. and then I would click last 24 hours. And then I would just uh, grab a link, um, whatever would come up at the top of the feed, mm-hmm. just jokes that people were outraged about. Now, when I started this process, I didn't think I would find very much. I didn't think that joke outrage was going to be a common thing. Turned out, I was getting multiple articles multiple times a day, just popping up at the top of the feed. And there would never just be one thing about it. Like, this actress made this joke on Good Morning America, and how dare she? And it's one random blog. No, no, no. That actress tells that joke on Good Morning America. 500 results. Click here. 
and you get to see all the results about that one joke. Yeah. So there was an entire month of joke outrage, and it got to a point I couldn't even archive all of the different links. I just had to grab some of my favorites and and you know try to find the best examples. And uh, it's so common. It is so common. And after the entire month of June, you can go to my website, ryanstout.com. You can find this blog that I wrote from last year. And uh, if you click all the links and read every single story for a month, you will not learn a single thing about jokes. (laughs) Until July 1st. There was one article, you click on it, and it talks about, uh, it mentioned one fact about jokes, which is we've studied laughter, and they've found that you are 30% more likely to laugh if you're with someone who is laughing. So that means if you're behind your computer screen alone at home, and you see a joke, and you don't like it, and there's no one around laughing... You are more likely to be outraged by it. (laughs) That's not fair. You are more likely to justify my feelings are correct, and here's why they're correct. And then you're going to write about your feelings, and you're not going to say anything about jokes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, it's it's an awful thing. It is. I mean, it is no different than what a lot of art forms have gone through that we as a society have realized, yeah, don't do that. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Nobody's saying, why would you make a painting about war? Aren't there better things to paint about? That's an ugly topic. Paint something better. Paint something that would make my life better. We've stopped doing that. I like ducks. We already went through that with painting. Yeah. With comedy? Oh, that is a common complaint. Aren't there better things to write about? Aren't there other things you could make funny? Why do you have to make that? Why do you have to talk about that topic? And you go, okay, we're right back. We're right back in the Middle Ages. Misplaced outrage. That's how I describe that stuff. It is. Misplaced outrage. Well, it's unfortunate because because nobody ever learns anything about jokes. They're, they go through life thinking that whatever feelings they have about jokes must be correct. Yeah. Uh, there's this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And what the Dunning-Kruger effect is, is it's a cognitive bias. So you've got this mental bias saying... I don't know a lot about this topic, if you were to quiz me on it. But I don't know that I don't know a lot, <laughs> so I must know a lot. Uh, I must be a comedy genius, because everything that I've ever laughed at is funny, and everything that I didn't laugh at wasn't funny. So I have a perfect record. I've always had a perfect record with comedy, so if I'm not laughing at something, well, let me, let me rationalize in my head why I'm correct. And then I will be correct. And people have gone through their whole lives like that. Nobody in school has ever been asked, all right, class, you're all going to write a joke. Write a joke, and then you're going to get up and tell it in front of the class. No eight-year-old kid has had to stand up there, hands shaking, bombing in front of the class. (laughs) They should. Because if they did, they would learn a little bit of humility and go, ah, jokes are hard to write. Mm -hmm. It is hard to create a joke. Instead, people spend their lives consuming jokes. And they sit out in the audience and they look at the the comedian and they go, well, I know about this. Let me tell you why the comedian's wrong. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you just ask them, what is the comedian's job? And they go, well, 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 I don't know. It seems complicated. Yeah. (laughs) Make me laugh. Because you haven't thought about it. That's usually what the answer is. What is the comedian's job? Well, make people laugh. Okay, which people? All the people? 
I said this in episode 92. No comedian mm. has ever written a joke that makes everyone laugh. That's mm. never happened no. before, ever. So by that definition, every comedian's a failure. As I, uh, as I overheard you talking to Lewis about before we recorded, you said you went and saw a deaf comic? I did. It That's was uh, in, I was in college and I was studying sign language and we had to go to some sort of event and I, the deaf community is, uh, we don't consider them a community. You know, if you're a hearing person, you just think of deaf as, oh, it's, it's a disability. Some people have it. They're over there. But all those people that you've put over there, they all got together and they have their own culture. For sure. And uh, they have events. And one of these events was a deaf comedian. And I went and it was very interesting because, as I was saying before, the and I say before before you guys started listening to this podcast <laughs> over lunch, the deaf comedian did not grow up the way a lot of comedians grow up listening to comedy albums. Yeah, so that meant the cons- the consumption of comedy must have been different. You know, you're watching a stand up on TV, and maybe you've got subtitles on, but still, like that doesn't that does not help timing at all. Reading the words applause is not the same as hearing applause. Correct. And even applause, we clap because that's an auditory thing, whereas the deaf raise both hands in the air and shake them so you can see them having a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, But this deaf comedian was very, very what we would consider hacky, doing very base-level material about, well, men and women are different and, you know, some, some very general stuff about sex and... It's, it was like comedy from the 1980s, and I was angry about that at first because I was like, comedy's evolved beyond this. Yeah. And then I had to go, well, not in their culture it hasn't uh-huh. because it's a different thing. Uh, the other thing that, that doesn't work with deaf comedy, wordplay. Matthew Broussard would have a very hard time, <laughs> even with a translator, yeah. because the sign for, you know... Uh, one thing does not look like the sign for whatever he's making the pun about. Yes. You know, the words, the word red as in the color and red as in the verb, those sound the same, look different. Ah, but when point. you hear them, that pun works. But the word red in sign language and the verb red, those making that physical action, those don't look the same. So now you don't have a joke because there's no comparison. Last week, Ian Abramson was the my guest here. Okay. And he does, have you ever done his, uh, what is it, seven minutes of seven purgatory? Making, um, Jackie Cash and I talked about it, but I've never done it. You've never done and it. And I think I'm going to contact him and do it. You should. Because I... I have no problem with that idea. Uh, okay. I talk to myself all day long <laughs> in my just, apartment alone. <laughs> I'm just thinking the combination. What if they? What if he brought a deaf? It would defeat the purpose. Deaf comic uh, playing to a you know a camera and then the crowd in the other room. The, yeah, I mean, other than being able to see the people laugh, or you know. Hearing audiences aren't going to shake their hands. No. They're going to clap them together, which yeah. he's going to think is a weird thing for them to be doing. <laughs> right. um, these people are like swatting mosquitoes or something. <laughs> what is happening in here? Is there a bug infestation? Someone open a window <laughs> or uh, close it. <laughs> yes, for those of you listening, Ian Abramson, he does this thing, Seven Minutes in Purgatory. You're in a locked like room that's soundproof and you're talking to a microphone and you're broadcast onto a screen where an audience is watching but you don't get to react with them only they have the reaction and you just continue on with your bits do you do you honestly uh practice things in front of a mirror 
Not in front of a mirror, but I have a difficult time trying to figure out how I would articulate something. So you say, um, so you're sitting on your bed and saying, reading things out loud. I will walk around my apartment and talk to myself. I'm just talking to myself, and usually it's words that I've said before, but I'm trying to say them in a new way, or I'm just trying to figure out a new way in. And there's something very natural about doing it where I will find the right thing and I go that's what it is and then I will write that down okay. to remember that yeah. um, but yeah there are a lot of people who don't have that process I just know that sometimes it works for me sometimes it doesn't work for me Sure. the weird thing about stand up is even if you write a bunch of jokes down you have to then get up and tell them and just the act of having them come out of your mouth and throat now you have to make decisions about voice inflections and timing and all this other stuff where if I'm walking around doing it, like creating while talking, yeah. I figure it out all at the same time. I gotcha. Yeah. You, uh, we've, you mentioned Jackie Cation a few times. What was your uh, dorkdom on her show? Um, I went on. I've gone on a few times oh, okay. at the Acme 20-year anniversary. We did a, a podcast from the hotel room where we just talked about whatever. It was just kind of free-forming. And then uh, I, I went on. I did an episode about traffic court. I talked about traffic court for an hour because I don't think traffic court is uh, – I think it's very interesting because a lot of people have the option of just going and defending themselves. Yeah. But you're in a system. So figuring out that system when we haven't been to law school, we don't have any knowledge about how this works. So you just look at like the basic constitution of the United States and what it provides you as a citizen. And then you go to traffic court and you realize – you people aren't providing me any of these things. The Sixth Amendment, the right to face your accuser. Uh-huh. I've stood in front of judges and I've said, you wrote me, I was written a ticket. This is a notice to appear. So we're at arraignment and uh, I have appeared. That is my, that, that's what I signed at the bottom. I signed that I would appear. What I'm asking now is what are the charges? And the judge says, well, they're written on the ticket. I said, yes, Your Honor, but it does not tell me who is bringing about the charges. It does not tell me the nature of the charges. My accuser. It doesn't tell me what I'm being accused of because I don't know. Is this a civil violation? I mean, I'm paying a fine if I get accused or if I get convicted, I pay a fine. Or is this a criminal allegation? Because if I don't show up to court, you guys will put me in jail. Yeah. So is it civil or is it criminal? And he goes, Mr. Sout, this is an infraction. I said, I understand that's the severity of the crime. In the United States, there are only two types of crimes, civil and criminal. Mm-hmm. And the judge will interrupt me. Mr. Stout, I've been to law school. You don't, you don't have to tell me the types. I said, I understand, Your Honor. I, uh, I do apologize. I need to know the nature of this crime. This really happened? They will not answer your questions. They will not. They will, they will push you aside. They will say, Mr. Stout, if you could wait till the end. And they will just cut the conversation short, and they will go through everybody else's arraignment, and they will, you know, sometimes send you to a different courtroom to talk to a different judge. They will never answer the question, who, what, what are the nature, what is the nature of the charges, who's bringing about the charges? Well, the people of California are bringing about the charges. Okay, again, I don't have any documentation that says that. I need documentation because I have a right to understand the charges against me. Sir, this is a crime against humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Just show me the paperwork. Show me the paperwork. I just need to know who I'm fighting against. Wow. You know, and not only the people of California, if they bring about charges, they have to have a representative bring about charges. Mm -hmm. A representative who has to sign something under the penalty of perjury 
that the charges they're bringing about are true. Now, you never get that in traffic court. And what's weird in California law, I don't know about Minnesota, you're allowed to ask for that at your arraignment. You're allowed to ask for a verified complaint. Verified by the person bringing about the charges and what the complaint is. Every time I've asked, they've said, no, your, your request is denied. Why do you need it? Well, I need it to understand the charges. Mr. Stout, guilty, not guilty, no contest. Those are your options. Meanwhile, those aren't your only options. You can also demur. You can say, no, no, no. There, there's no paperwork saying I did anything wrong. So if there's no paperwork, we don't have charges. I get to go home. That's the other option. And that's, that's your fourth plea option, and they never tell you about it. You know what I'm gathering from this? I'm a problem. I'm a problem person. You're not a great driver. That's uh, what I gathered from this. I didn't have a ticket in like 15 years, and then all of a sudden I got popped for a sign that said, no right turn school days. Now, I don't know what the word school days means to you, but it's on a city sign. And I went to the penal code and I looked up, well, what does school days mean? Do they mean Monday through Friday? Or is it just whenever school is in session? Well, when the hell is school in session? <laughs> As a driver, am I required to drive around to every school and learn their school schedule and memorize it? Well, it's I don't President's think, Day. You're fine. I don't think that's on me. Well, here's the other thing. If you want to go deeper, I was popped at a private Jewish academy. Now, sometimes they are in school Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they are off Monday, Tuesday. That's even more confusing, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, there's not like there's a light at the top of the sign where if the light's on, it's a school day. If the light's off, not a school day. <laughs> and so the penal code, the driver's code, none, you can't find out what the term school day means, but it's on a sign and charges are being brought against me because of these words. And that led me down a huge rabbit hole about traffic court. I and bet. Jackie and I talked about it for an hour and I even left there going, there's so much more to say. So that's what I dorked out about with Jackie. And then, and then recently I went on and talked about comedy controversies. Oh, okay. So this was soon after I did my little experiment Perfect. that we dorked out about comedy and outrage. Love it. Love it. I, uh, I watched, I didn't see it two weeks ago, but I watched your episode of At Midnight. Oh, thank you. And I say your episode because... Because I, I won the internet. You won the internet. Uh, I was so glad that I won. Meanwhile, it's a fake game show. And... Uh, <laughs> It's interesting that what you see on TV is a very condensed version of what happened. Oh, I, as someone who, you know, produced a radio show for quite a few years and all that, yeah, I, I notice from early on watching that show that there's a lot of things we don't see, that there's a lot of editing. Well, everybody at home should know this. Every time there's a question asked by Chris Hardwick, the host, everyone answers. Now, everyone gets points or not points for answering. However, when you watch the program, sometimes only one person answers, mm -hmm. sometimes two people answer, sometimes you get all three answers, but not usually. Yeah. And the reason they do that is because then they get to create kind of a story arc, and uh, whoever wins, wins. That's, it, that's in the can. That's over with. Yeah. But then in editing, they go, okay, well, Ryan won, so let's take out a few of his jokes from the beginning of the show, just give more camera time to the other people who were on. Mm. How about that? Sound yeah. good? And, you know, if you're just on there, just dominating, ringing in at every question, they go, okay, Ryan had a lot of answers to choose from, but he is only one-fourth of the show. <laughs> We're giving another fourth to the other contestant, another fourth to the other contestant, and then a fourth to our host. Yeah. 
and it doesn't always work out equally, but they try to make it. I will say that uh, if people didn't see it, it's you know they have all the episodes posted on the uh, At Midnight website. Very mm-hmm. easy to find. Like I said, I did this morning, and uh, I. I laughed out loud sitting on my couch t- this morning by myself. No one around to tell me it was funny, but and I'm I'm just I'll just give the quick version. When you said uh, there was something about uh, the punchline was quietest daughter working with Woody Allen. So uh, fucking hilarious, Ryan. Um, hilarious. God, what I, I forgot what the setup was, but uh, you had to. Oh, it was Facebook having a, a new wow icon. Yes. Yeah. So what is a post that you would write that would make people go, wow, and the, wow. And the, and the emoji is like a wide open, oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, uh, guess what, everybody? Or guess who just got cast in Woody Allen's new Netflix series? My quietest daughter. <laughs> and the audience, whoa. And I said, wow, right? Wow? I thought we were doing wow. Damn it. <laughs> Quietest Daughter, by the way, great band name, don't you Quietest think? Quietest Daughter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> We're Quietest Daughter, and... Uh... Very funny, so i got to congratulate Thank on that. You. And for uh, winning the internet. I won the internet. Which is just taken away from you in... And within, w- within hours. Within yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really not that fair. Um, and I also need to go back a few minutes here. You used a word that I read in a uh, newspaper article about uh, six months ago, and I had no idea what it meant. Demure. Oh, I, I said demur. Demur, I mean demur. demur. I wrote it down. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Demur, yeah. Well, demure is a different word. No, I know. Dem- yeah, yeah. D-E-M-U-R is what you said. Yeah, demur. Yeah. So, I mean, in legalese, it means this this piece of paper that you're using to charge me isn't... A charging instrument. Yeah. So we're not we're not going with that. Uh, you're saying, okay, you told me to appear. I'm here. So what? Yeah. And we're done. Nice job. Unless you pull some things out. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure exactly where that word comes from, but I do know that your choices when you're arraigned, guilty, not guilty, no contest, demur, and they never tell you demur because they don't want to explain what that is. Because then people are going to go, wait, well, I just got this traffic ticket. I don't know anything about this. I'm amazed that people will fight for their First Amendment right to freedom of expression. They will fight for their Second Amendment right to bear arms. And then they're pretty much done. (laughs) They don't make it down to six. They don't make it down to the Sixth Amendment. They just go, yeah, I know what the charges are. Do you really? Um, And by the way, once you say guilty, not guilty, no contest, once you say that to them, you're done. Because they've, you've basically agreed to this system. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't say that, they will try to force you into the system and then you just don't let them. I, I, that reminds me of being in, I uh, was in like junior high and a girl had a crush on me and she wanted me to be her boyfriend. Uh-huh. And was asking me flat out, like on the phone, will you be my boyfriend? And I kept saying no, all these different ways to say no. Then she tried to get creative and asking me, like, so, but yeah, but what's the opposite of no? What's the opposite of I will be your boyfriend? Like, <laughs> just because I'm going to re- say these words you want to hear, I don't mean them. Yeah, this You're isn't a contract. Me. This yeah. isn't a verbal contract. Uh, That's not how this works. He said yes. <laughs> he I, said yes. I trapped him, everybody. It's this will hold He's up. He's mine court. now. Yes, this will hold up. <laughs> did you uh, did you watch Super Bowl, Ryan? I did. I. Uh... I was in a football pool because that's I don't I don't have any team to root for. Mm-hmm. There was no reason that I would pull for either team, 
But if there's money on the line, sure. Now, especially a football pool, because I'm like, okay, great. If Carolina gets a touchdown here, I win the quarter. I'm going to get money. Yeah. Okay. If Denver makes this kick, this is perfect for me because then my numbers line up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're you're pulling for whatever might happen. Yeah. Um, you're doing calculations in your head. Mm-hmm. And I so was in one too. So yeah. I uh, with Denver, they got their touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter. And it was time for them to kick their extra point. And I went, I'm going to win the whole game. I'm going to win the whole game. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the – they're going for two. They're going for two? Oh, fuck you guys forever. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. So I didn't win a dime. In our pool, we uh, a guy had both those numbers. Yeah. So no matter what, if it was a one point or two point, the only way he would have not won is if they went for the two and didn't get it. Right. Yeah. Right. So we were – everyone hated him at that moment. Yeah, it was, it was screwed up. Yeah. Um. Going back to the court thing, mm-hmm. uh, just real quickly, mm-hmm. there was a show in L.A. they do. They call it uh, The Sequel, where you get up and you give a sequel to a movie that's already been made. You pitch this idea to the audience. Okay. And I was going to do um, Lenny 2 Traffic Court, <laughs> where Lenny Bruce, you know, he's he's revived and he's in Los Angeles and... Uh, you know, at the end of his life, he was reading the transcripts of his court appearances on stage, just boring audiences. Um, and so he gets pulled over in L.A. and he goes into this fight against the traffic system. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I would have loved it. I, I didn't end up doing the show because I got sick or something like that. Oh. But uh, it was it was an idea that stuck out in my head. And to this day, I still think it's funny just thinking about Lenny Bruce fighting tooth and nail for every minuscule crime because mm-hmm. you know his his situation that he was in uh if you're listening and you don't know san francisco los angeles chicago and new york he got busted for obscenity mm-hmm. now that's a misdemeanor so you pay a fine and that's it you're done yeah uh instead lenny was like no i'm gonna go to court and he said no i want to argue in front of a jury because how can the government fine its citizens for saying things in a dark nightclub when um, we have freedom of speech. Yeah. I thought. I thought artistically. And and by the way, freedom of speech wasn't even his prerogative. His thing was, well, I said the thing, and the audience laughed. So how can you call it obscene? Like, how can you juries come to that conclusion? Yeah. And a lot of times, talking about consumers, consumers think of Lenny Bruce as freedom of speech, whereas comedians think of Lenny Bruce as juries of people found him guilty. They said freedom of speech did not protect him, and they never even heard him tell the jokes. They never even experienced it for themselves, but they made a determination about its social value. Yeah. And Lenny Bruce's final, his final time in court in New York City, 1962, he's in front of three judges. It's his final appeal. And his, some of his last words were, please just listen to my act one time, just once. Mr. Bruce, you've been found guilty. We don't have time for this. And he was dead two years later. Ugh. He had to go. He, he he was in a work camp for Christ's sakes, or a workhouse, or something like that. He was sentenced for a few months in a workhouse because he said some bad words. <laughs> and uh, people people think that like that was all settled, you know, because freedom of speech. Right. And comics go, no, no, it wasn't settled. Freedom of speech didn't protect him. Did not. That was just some determination made by random people yeah. that went, no, we don't like the joke. We don't like the joke we didn't even hear. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, um, 
I wanted to talk to you about, we need to address that this week is Valentine's Day, and you're doing an extra show. I am doing a, a Sunday show yeah. for Valentine's Day. That never happens here. It never happens here, Valentine's Day. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I've seen people come out to the comedy clubs. I don't know exactly what they expect. I would think that the people who come out are two people who are in love who are also comedy fans. Mm-hmm. So I would think, well, we should just give them comedy. I don't necessarily think they're coming to hear about love. Like, this isn't a one-man show about love. That was not going to be created for them. <laughs> no? Uh, so it, the, the topic of Valentine's Day will most likely be avoided. Will you wear a red suit? No, probably just red underwear. I packed just red drawers. That way I know. Okay. This is my little gift to me uh, underneath the suit. <laughs> I might try to weave that concept into the show somewhere that yeah guys that um love's not gonna be talked about tonight sorry it's too hard to do (laughs) it is one of those things that i find very interesting that when you talk about things on stage that people dislike they are willing to sit up and listen but if you're tearing down and picking apart something they do like they get very uncomfortable and they yell out and who you don't necessarily want to hear somebody pick apart love you know if you want to hear somebody talk about their bad relationships well that's that's a different thing yeah it's not exactly talking about love that's talking about hate yeah they love to hear about hate (laughs) (laughs) they enjoy hearing about hate i love to hear about hate yeah Mm. but if you if you start tearing apart love and picking apart people are gonna go "Mm, i don't feel good about this you'll lose 98 percent of the women in the audience yeah, I mean, there are topics. It is very difficult to write a Tom Hanks joke. You know, people have you tried. Yes, people love Tom Hanks. Yeah, true. He, he doesn't really have anything that sticks out that you're like, yeah, fuck that guy. And there's no like tragedy in his life that you can then compare to like some great thing in his life. You know, yeah. You can't you can't take some car accident and then somehow weave together some bit that compares it to something that happened in Turner and Hooch. You know, it's hard to make fun of Tom Hanks because he is beloved. Uh-huh. And people complained about that when Barack Obama was elected president. They're like, well, you know, it's hard to make fun of that guy. He's just so likable. And comics were like, all right, give it time. <laughs> Because he's going to make decisions yeah. that will anger people, mm-hmm. and then things will be fine. Well, he'll get made fun of. He'll get made fun of a lot. Yeah. That'll happen. It's not just going to be talking about his ears for the next four years, eight years. It doesn't. It's, it's going to get deeper. You know, I did used to think that, though, uh, in relation to Saturday Night Live and who was going to be president. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you know, if they're going to lose this George Bush, then who's, who's going to be the next one they can make fun of? They gotta, we got to have the best, you know, the caricature. We have to have a caricature so that they can be made fun of. Yeah, and I think I- impersonation is very difficult that way in... In the aspect that theater used to be live, so people had to have bigger personalities and, you know, specific things about them that would show all the way from the stage to the back row. Mm-hmm. Whereas television, you get to be very one note the whole time. Julia Roberts is great at being Julia Roberts. Matthew Perry is great at being Matthew Perry. There's not a lot of character work That's in true. those people. Yeah. So it's hard to do... A Julia Roberts impersonation. You know what I mean? A Matthew Perry impersonation, you're basically doing Chandler from Friends. Yeah. You're not really doing Matthew Perry. <laughs> uh, so w- as as personalities get smaller, of course, the impersonations get harder. Yeah. And 
at first you think, well, this president doesn't have a lot of, he's not very eccentric, so they don't have those sharp edges that we can point to and right. kind of, you know, emulate. But as it develops and you start hearing more about the teleprompter, you start hearing those those pauses that yeah. he has, people start emulating and they, they come out. And nobody more than a president, every president will get it a ton. Right. But some just more than others. You can always find something. Because George Bush, the second one, um, was had a lot of eccentric mm-hmm. qualities. Um, he just got made fun of 300%. Barack Obama just got like 100, 150%. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with his politics. It's just like, hey, he's just kind of an upstanding black guy he likes basketball is there something there no might be hiding smoking uh, yeah ugh, he had to give up his blackberry are we gonna do a blackberry nobody has a blackberry anymore so <laughs> ye running the well's running dry here now we'll give him time well instead of making fun of his personality or character we'll have to make fun of the actual decisions he makes yeah. and then that happens mm-hmm. yeah it all works out. It all works out. There will always be material. Yeah. Donald Trump is has been made fun of across the board forever. Mm-hmm. And if I learned anything from high school, it was this. If you just have your face enough places, you can win prom king. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the most popular. People will vote for you for prom king because they're like, yeah, I know that name. I know that face. And I've had that in my mind for years, as Donald Trump has done The Apprentice, as he went and did a Comedy Central roast, as his face just appeared places, I was like, this guy's just putting his brand out there so that when he runs for president, people will circle his name mm-hmm. just because they recognize it. Sheer brand recognition. That's all he's doing. Yeah. And it's working. Because his policy is that of a fourth grader who's <laughs> running for class president. Absolutely. I'm going to get new vending machines for the cafeteria. And other kids are going, I'm with him on those vending machine things. They, they need new vending. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're a fourth grader. You don't have any control over the vending machines. You're making promises you can't keep. And you don't even know you can't keep them because <laughs> right. you're a dumb kid. Yeah. So, I mean, Donald Trump's coming out with a lot of loud things about he's going to get this country new vending machines. Mm-hmm. And people are going, Yes! That that's my guy. He says what I think. Yeah, and people are passionate. Meanwhile, when it comes to execution, you guys aren't getting new vending machines. No. It's not ever going to happen. No. Uh, and I think that kind of goes for Bernie Sanders as well. He's got a. He talks a big game yeah. about things that need to change and getting out of people's pockets. And yeah, wait till you're there. Yeah. You wait until you have to play ball and see what you can get done. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if you're not playing the same game all the other politicians are playing, your power drops to zero. Yeah. So you know why he back to the SNL thing. You know why he can't win is because Larry David's not going to come back to SNL like and be a full time. Well, when you brought up SNL, I was like, that'd be a great thing for Larry David. Yeah. <laughs> well, for him, yeah. I'd, yeah. I wouldn't think he's going to do that. I mean, he's I I I don't think he's in New York anymore. I think he's out in L.A. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'm sure he would. Loved. It's great to go on SNL to do one character and be done. You get to go to the after party. You get to be on television. Yeah, you make a great? small paycheck, yeah. which he doesn't need. But no. who cares? You get to make comedy with some of the best people making comedy yeah. today. And I know a lot of people like to bash SNL, which has been the case since, what, 1985? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the cool thing to bash SNL. Mm-hmm. You're not being cool by doing it because it's happened yeah. for 
the last two decades. <laughs> no, I um, remember when they were good. Oh, are you saying that in 1986, 96, yeah. mm-hmm. 2016? No, I'm just going to be, he's not Belushi. Right. People don't realize how difficult it is, once again, to create comedy. You have to create a show that goes on live once a week. Yeah. And you don't know what gets cut. You don't know costumes need to be made. You don't understand sets need to be built. You don't understand that you can't just write a sketch Saturday morning and say, this is genius. Let's put it on tonight. They're going to say, no, go fuck yourself. We, we can't build those sets or right. have those costumes in time. Uh, so to come up with the ideas on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then execute by Saturday is so difficult. And so even if the show isn't your funniest show ever, what was created was damn near impossible. Yeah. But because you have no education, you can't have any appreciation, and so now you think SNL sucks. There was one guy talking about like how he's so funny. This is at a party. I'm so funny. I could I can write for SNL. Like uh, you know, just the other day, I was saying like uh, my wife is a bad driver. Like she's she's even worse than Paul Walker, and. Uh, I didn't know this guy, but I wanted to just jump into his conversation and go, how old is that joke? Because uh, you would need new jokes for this week, for this weekend. No shit. For SNL. How old is your Paul Walker joke that's so fucking funny to you? (laughs) That means you're awful at this. You cannot create new things. You're relying on one thing you said one time, and you're just coasting. Yeah. Fuck you. Oh, I got a whole Paul Walker bit. I can write for SNL. You wait. Let's Uh. give a plug to... uh, this uh, fameless, uh, fameless. It's on True TV. On it's True David TV, yeah. Spade's uh, prank show, and uh, we basically take people who have decided. Well, they've been told you're going to be on a television program. You've been selected. You're going to be on this game show, or you're going to be the co-host of this new uh, dating show, or you're going to be, you know. Um, going out into the wild like a search for Bigfoot, and you're the co-host because we just love your personality and the way you tell the truth. And then they show up on set, and cameras are rolling. Yeah. And they think they're there for this thing, and then we proceed to go through a fake television show that they think is real, and we try to put them in a position where they have to think to themselves, okay, this is crazy. I'm not actually doing this. I'm not actually going to walk over to the cage and poke the gorilla with a stick. I would never do that. Or they can think, well, you should just do it because it's TV and this is your big break. Right. And so every single time we just try to get them to push their line further and further. So we've fake broken into hotel rooms. Like this one guy, he thought he was going to be the co-host of a cheaters type show. Uh-huh. And we went and we broke into a hotel room where there were actors inside and, you know, we caught this dude cheating, quote unquote. And uh, we pull back the covers and my co-host, the guy who's being pranked, who's under the covers? His wife. Oh! And he's <laughs> loses his mind. Yeah. He's angry. <laughs> and then we reveal it's a prank show and he's like, oh, oh. And by the way, he was the best guy he was so good. He was so positive in spirit. And when he pulled back the covers and it was his wife, he went to tears. I bet. <laughs> like some guys might get angry yeah. and be like, what the fuck is this? This guy just went, what? Why are you? No, no, no. <laughs> he believed it. So he was so invested. Um, there was. Uh... <laughs> what? Uh... Meanwhile, meanwhile, you don't feel bad for this guy. Okay. Because he agreed 
to be a co-host of a television show, a job he's never done before. He agreed to break into a hotel room yeah. and scream into a bullhorn at some dude who's cheating and say, you cheating bastard, you're the reason why women don't have good men and blah, blah, blah. And he went along with it. He went, yeah, I should do those things to be famous. I would love to see the list of people that are, I, I mean, I don't know where they're getting names. Where, where... Um, yeah, there are special people in casting that... Uh, they they do their job. They I, cast. I they... would love to see the uh, you know uh, you're going through the list of names there and uh, you know special interests of these people. Uh, gullible was, has to be number one on those lists, right? Well, it, it, you you take somebody who really really wants it and really really thinks highly of themselves so much so that. They're kind of delusional to what's around them. They're just thinking, me, 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 like me, Like this me. person. What, what Did you learn any, like, what does he do for a living? Like, how, how is he getting pulled into this and going, yeah, this is happening. I'm well, ready. Number one, they all live in Los Angeles. So the only reason to live there is if you're in the business. Okay. So these people are either working in television or desperately want to break in. Yeah. And they think this is their big shot. You have to think, like, this started weeks ago when they went on an audition where they just talked into a camera in an office somewhere. And they were told, thanks, we'll give you a call. Sure. And then hope was lost. Oh, I didn't, I, maybe I didn't get it. And then all of a sudden they get a call. Hey, we watched your tape. We're really interested in having you on this thing. Sure. What? You are? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're just checking your availabilities. Are you available for this date? Um, I can clear some stuff out. Yeah, it's totally good. <laughs> okay, we'll call you back with details. Okay. And then their mind's just racing. Really excited about working with you on this one. This is before cameras even roll. Amazing. This person is working themselves up. Yes. And then they get into a position where I did, I did a, a show called That's Your Opinion, fake show. Uh-huh. And I'm the host, and I have an actor with me who is a, uh, he's an opinion guy. And the whole premise of the show, we tell our Mark, this woman who's sitting to my left, we say, well, this is a show where we want real people's real opinions. We don't need expert opinions. We want to debate these things out in a civil way, but with real people. And they go, okay, great. But we also subtly start to put it into her head that whatever this guy on the right says, you have to give the opposite opinion. Because otherwise we don't have a show. Yeah, yeah. And that just starts getting fed to her in small ways, tiny ways. And then we get to questions like, should old people be allowed to drive? I'm going to look at you, Kiff. guy's name was Kiff. And he's like, yeah, I think uh, old people should be able to drive. I don't think that that should be taken away from them as they age. All right. Going to you, Danielle. Danielle, what do you think? Should old people be able to drive? No. <laughs> no, let's let's stop them from drive because you know, something could happen and yeah. So that's just a little bit. Now she's going with us. She's taking the bait. Love it. She's saying things that she doesn't, doesn't believe, believe in. because it. she wants to be on television. Mm-hmm. So it escalates to the point where next question, should women be allowed to have an opinion? Kiff, let's go to you for this one. And he goes, yeah, of course women should be allowed to have an opinion. What kind of society do you think we live in? All right, Danielle. No. For the opposite opinion. <laughs> and she goes, No. No, women should be subservient to men and just let the men lead. And and I'm going, is that what you really believe? Danielle, I'm not quite sure that's what you really believe. <laughs> because if, I mean, if you're lying on the show, the show doesn't work. And she's going, no, that's, that's absolutely. And by the way, we'll take breaks, quote unquote breaks. Cameras are still rolling. Right. She thinks it's a break. Yeah. Where I get up, I walk away, and a so-called producer comes in and talks sure. to them. And has the real chat with Kiff, you're doing wink. really great. Mm-hmm. You're giving your opinion. So listen, Danielle, we're just going to need a little more out of you. Just a little more noise, a little more opinion. Really fight with Kiff on these things. <laughs> you know, just feeding it to them. 
And so we we end up at this like it gets to a head where hopefully we're always hoping that somebody goes, all right, what is what is I'm not doing this. I'm not going to sit here and say that women shouldn't have an opinion. Of course, women like we want them to break. Right. And the more they don't break, the deeper we get to go. Oh, so great. So the pranks on them. Yeah. I want to be famous, so I'm willing to lie, cheat, and steal. And I'm kind of okay with pranking those people because they do it to themselves. I agree. Uh, that Jimmy Kimmel Beautiful. prank that goes around every Halloween where he... The candy. The candy. I eat all your candy. Yeah, parents yeah. tell their kids, I ate all your Halloween candy. Mm-hmm. You know why that's a great prank for me? And a lot of people complain about that prank every year. They feel like it's parents victimizing their children and giving them bad lessons about love. And I'm like... Well, number one, you don't see them give the candy back. All the parents are giving the candy back. These are just initial responses. But number two, it's a great prank because the kid has all the power. And you know the kid has all the power every year when that one kid goes, you ate all the candy? That's okay. I love you. There's always a kid that says, yeah, it's fine. That's fine. You're my parents and I'm going to let that one go. I'm going to be selfless. And when you raise a good child... The prank doesn't work. Yeah. But your shitty kid who throws a tantrum and breaks the flat screen TV. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pranks on them, uh-huh. but they're a shitty person, so they should be pranked. Like the the deservability of a prank, I think, is is crucial. Now you have me thinking that my kids are shitty people, because I guarantee if I did that, there would be major meltdowns. Now let me ask you this. When you gave the candy back, would they laugh? Because that's the other important part, because I think I would have gotten pissed at my parents, but as soon as they were like, we didn't eat all the candy, why would you even think that? We love you. And I would go, yeah, you guys are right. Shit, I shouldn't have overreacted. God damn, I'm stupid. You really got me. You got me. You're right. I did the wrong thing. I don't know. I don't know if they would. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know, money is more valuable than, I mean, uh, candy is more valuable than money. How old are your kids? House. 17, Na- 18? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, nine and seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What do they need money before? They're yeah. going to buy candy with yeah. it. Con- con- <laughs> candy is everything. Mm-hmm. So I, ew. I do love watching those videos. So, yeah. So I'm with you there. It's, I, I just think it's a, it says more about the child than it does the parent, mm-hmm. and yet people will get outraged because it's a comedy thing. Yeah. They will get outraged over that prank every single Halloween and say, I don't know why this is happening. Why do people still do this? And it's because, oh, you, you're not comfortable with whether or not your parents loved you. So if your parents did that, you would be hurt. You know what they need to do? They need to, somebody needs to get in with one of these kids, uh, somehow they see it coming, and they do like the double reverse, like the reverse. I poisoned that candy. (laughs) Exactly. I switched the candy with poison candy. (laughs) Oh no, you ate that? My candy is right here. (laughs) What did you eat? Oh, that was all razor blades and rat poison. Oh Oh, no. That was for the cat. We Uh, should go to the hospital. Some eight-year-old kid. <laughs> oh, this is real bad. Yeah. Look what you did to yourself. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel, if you're listening, yeah, we want credit for that, or at least Ryan deserves credit. Yeah, for that, we want but... some sort of uh, twist at the end. Yes. Uh, we should wrap this up here. Anything else we should be mentioning that you got going on? Um, I always tell people to go find me on YouTube. They almost never listen, but I decided that I wanted a million views just to have a million views. And then I decided that was a small goal in this era. So now I want 10 million views. Okay, I saw That's that. what I want. 10 million views, everybody. I saw that. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff up there that you can click on. 
and we are a long way away from 10 million so you do your part and I and this is probably something I said in episode ninety two uh, because I saw it in my notes, so I bet I did. And it holds true. Your your website is one of the best for comics. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, updated, like legitimately updated. I try to. If I have dates coming up, they better be on that damn thing. But it even like on your little bio thing, it even said your uh, appearance on at, on midnight. at midnight. And yeah. I'm like, this is. I get in there. There's a lot of sites when you you know. I usually avoid the bios because they're because they are so dated. They're very old. There's not something I can really bring up from one of these things in most cases that we're going to talk about. Sadly, um, I'm a control freak, so I have spent a lot of time learning to do things for myself. Okay. And so, when I have something happen in my career. I personally go in, log in, do the HTML, update the website. Yeah, more should. And then it's done. And it's up to date and it's perfect. Whereas a lot of comics, because they wait around for other people to hand them, you know, uh, opportunities in their career, they, they, well, my web guy couldn't get in contact with him. I'm like, you, you learn HTML. You do it. Yeah. Uh, I put up all those YouTube clips. I edit all those clips. I take the camera with me places. I I film the footage. I bought microphones so that I can clip it to my tie so you can hear the footage better. Look at like, that. I've taken a lot of steps for you people, and you're not watching. <laughs> I need those 10 million views. And he's cu- he's uh, admit it. You're checking the uh, the clicks daily, right? Uh, probably every like three days or so. <laughs> yeah. I'll forget for a while, and I'll get excited. Like, maybe it's happened. Maybe I'm famous now. <laughs> Let's go over to YouTube. Nope, nope, still the same. Ugh. Still the same. I, I think I get, on average, like three to 400 clicks a day. Like, people find it and watch. Mm-hmm. Like, it's spreading its tentacles through the Internet. Good. But we are we're a few thousand away from half a million views. Yeah. So we need to... Do a lot more real fast. When you're back for episode 493 of No Laugh Track. We better have at least 5 million by then. Yeah, I think 5 so. million. I think so. So, uh, once again, you're here at Acme all week. Two shows Friday, Saturday, and one on, on Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Valentine's Day. Perfect. Perfect. And then find me at RyanStout.com, everybody. Perfect. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Ta-ta. <laughs>